reading this morning is from Luke, as Craig said, um, chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight for you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, let's pray. Father God, as we come to hear from your word, fill us with your spirit. Open our hearts that we will be receptive to your word so that um, it wouldn't just be information but revelation and lead to transformation for us to, to reflect more of who you've made us to be in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that my words would be your words and that um, you would be at work through them. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, good morning, everyone. Um, you may or may not know that I've been asked to step in to fill in for John Warner, who's been a close contact of somebody who's tested positive. Um, so sorry if you've come to hear him. You got me. I feel like one of those cricketers who've been called up to play in the big bash competition, the cricket competition, where, you know, the teams have had over half their team taken out with COVID and so they're scouring all the lower ranks of the cricket teams trying to find enough players to get a team on the, on the park. Well, picture Pastor Stephen racking his brain. Who can I get to preach on Sunday late Friday afternoon? He goes, oh, i got no young guy. We'll have to go for the old guy instead. So here I am. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I, I, I was a pastor in the Lutheran Church for 21 years and I finished up there uh, about five years ago uh, due to some health issues. Um, now, I'm a bit out of practice with this whole preaching thing, but you are lucky. I did play a game back in the 5th of December where my old church asked me to come and preach for them, so I got a little bit of match practice. It was good to go back to my old church. Um, you know, it was great to see everyone. They were all, all welcoming. And, but, you know, as you can imagine, because I left there due to health reasons, everyone's going, how are you going? How are you feeling? Is, um, is, are your fatigue levels any better? Which was one of the big symptoms. And to be honest, I had to say to them, look, no, my health isn't actually any better. In fact, it might get a bit, got a bit worse with age, which sort of happens with these kind of things. Um, and, you know, I've still got to live with these daily health issues that challenge me, challenge me emotionally, physically, socially. And, of course, there's always the spiritual challenge of dealing with a chronic sickness. I can't tell you, I've got a ring up here, Pung, and it's quite bad. It's feeding back somewhere, yeah. You know, it's affected me spiritually, and um, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed to God, God, would you take this from me? Could you heal me? And years and years of praying this, I've had a lot of people who are praying for me. I've had people pray over me. I've been anointed with oil. I've had the whole lot. And yet, no change. That's, I don't know how to describe that, disappointing, disheartening. At the same time, while I share that, I imagine there would be lots of you here, if not all of you, who would have your stories of unanswered prayer. It may be to do with your own journey with health problems or the health problems of a loved one. It could be to do with a relationship, with your work situation, with your finances. It might be to do with an unbelieving spouse or family member or friend and the list goes on and on. And when our prayers go unanswered, it can really suck the joy out of your life. And you think about it, when you take prayer seriously, you pray, you hand it to God, and you get your hopes up, you get expectant that God's going to do something to change your situation. And if you've been praying for something for a while and you've had a particularly good prayer time, you'll get even more expectant and go, yeah, I can feel it. This time it's going to be different. I can see some nods. And then nothing happens. And all that expectation and hope just drains away bit by bit. And in fact, 
that can be replaced by this sort of deep sorrow and disappointment. And our faith in God's capacity to act in our life can slowly slip away to the point where we really don't expect God to do anything significant in our life when we pray. He might do it for others, but not for us. How do you know when you've reached that point? The obvious one is you stop praying. You know, you've given up hope that God's going to do anything. And it's actually easier on your emotions because when you, when you don't pray, because if you don't ask, well, you're not disappointed when you don't get the answer you hope for. Makes sense, doesn't it? Or some of us, and this is probably my journey, for whatever reason, whether it's duty or habit, we, we keep praying. But deep down, we don't really believe God's going to do anything. kind of works the same way as not praying because if you don't expect anything, then you don't get disappointed by unmet expectations. Have you given up praying for something? Because it's just too hard to get your hopes up only to have them dashed when nothing happens. Have you given up hoping that God will answer your prayer? If I'm honest, I struggle with this, particularly when you've got an ongoing issue in your life. And so when I came to look at today's Bible reading to prepare this sermon, and just an aside, that's always a helpful thing when you're writing a sermon to actually look at the verses you're preaching on. I'm glad I still remembered that step, being an old guy. But I I read it and I go, oh, I think God wants to say something to me about this unanswered prayer in my life. And given it's common to all of us, I believe God's got something to say to all of us through this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. So let's jump into the story and let's hope this old man can use this. I do. Beginning at verse 5, let's read. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's demands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So the picture here is we have a godly couple. We're told they're righteous in God's sight. We're also told they're childless. The writer goes to the effort of including all this detail because I think they want us to see an important point and that is This couple's not childless because of something they had done wrong. I think this shows us that good people can have really disappointing things happen in their life that have nothing to do with their personal sin. They're not to blame for this situation. And that's really important to remember in this story, but it's also important to remember in our own stories and the stories of those around us. So here we have Zachariah and Elizabeth who are childless and they're really old. There's no way they can ever expect to have a child now. That ship has long since sailed. And yet this angel shows up unexpected and says to Zachariah, you're going to have a child. Now it's obvious from Zachariah's response that he's given up Any hope of God answering that prayer, he's probably stopped praying that prayer years ago. 
He's probably reached that point where he stopped asking God to answer that prayer and rather ask God to help him instead accept the way things are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. I mean, living in a permanent state of disappointment because you're constantly expecting the situation to change when it's not, wow, that can really mess with you. And I've been down that road. So it's no surprise that this very old Zachariah, who's got a very old wife, says to the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Can any of you really blame him? After years and years and years of unanswered prayer, of getting his hopes up, having them dashed, is it wrong to ask for a sign before he, you know, tries this one more time? Well, the problem seems to be that Zachariah is missing what's going on in front of him. And he's a priest, we're told. He should have actually known better. You see, angels showing up to make announcements about a child is nothing new. God used them to speak to Abraham about Isaac, to Hagar about Ishmael, to Manoah and his wife about Samson. Zechariah would have known those stories just as a good Israelite, let alone he was a priest. He would have known these stories. And so he should have known something was going on here. And the way the angel reacts sort of brings this out. We read um, in verse 19, the angel says to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed, at the appointed time. So here was the angel Gabriel sent from the very presence of God to tell them this news. We don't have some random person standing in front of Zachariah. It's an angel and where he's standing is really important, right in the middle of the temple. This is incredibly significant. Zachariah misses it. And so he ends up not being able to speak until John's born. It's a tricky situation because there, I think there are times when it's not wrong to accept that our situation is probably not going to change. And, it, and we look to God in prayer to help us accept the situation and say, God, what are you going to teach me here? And how are you even going to use it for your purposes? That happens a lot of the time. And that's okay. The dynamic here, though, is that Zachariah's experience would suggest that we should never completely close ourselves off from the possibility that God may show up one day and do something completely extraordinary. And that's what he did here. God showed up to Zachariah and Elizabeth and he gave them a child in their old age. And the angel said to Zachariah, Don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many people will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. The birth of John will turn Zachariah and Elizabeth's sorrow into joy. When Elizabeth discovered 
that the Lord had done, what the Lord had done, this is what she said. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown me favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. God had indeed turned this couple's sorrow into joy. God not only gave them a child, he gave them a very, very special child. A prophet who would operate in the spirit and power of Elijah. Verse 16 says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God gave them way more than they had ever asked for or imagined. And here's the thing, it wasn't just for Zachariah and Elizabeth. The promise of John's birth also answered the prayers of the people of Israel who'd been crying out to God for years and years and years for the Messiah. It had been 400 years since they had heard anything from God through the prophets. God had promised this Messiah and they must have been wondering, has God forgotten us? Yet, here in the birth of John, God is simultaneously answering the, the personal prayers of a childless couple and the collective prayers of a whole nation. And that's why the, the angel said, he will be a joy and a delight to you and many people will rejoice because of his birth. The birth of John was the forerunner to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the one they had been waiting for all along. And that's why on the day of John's birth, this is what John Zechariah prophesies, he said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. God had not forgotten his people, not forgotten his promise. And this, he was coming to rescue them and this was such a big deal that he had to send someone ahead of the Messiah to prepare their hearts for his coming. And that's why many people rejoice because of the birth of John. So as you look at it that way, it's not hard to see how people back then would rejoice at the news of John's birth when they understood that he was born to prepare the way for the Messiah. It's not hard to see how people living back then would rejoice at the news of a saviour because they were living under this oppressive rule of the Romans, thinking, no, God's heard us, finally. Finally, we're going to be saved from all this. My question is, though, how does this story help turn our sorrow into joy? How does it turn the sorrow of our unanswered prayers into joy, even if they remain unanswered? I want to draw out three things, three sources of joy from this story that I believe bring joy into our sorrow, whether that be the sorrow of unanswered prayer or whether it be the sorrow that's caused from just life events that happen to us. I think we all know what that feels like at the moment living in a pandemic. These things just come on us. We go, how am I going to deal with this? 
So the first source of joy in this story is the joy of knowing God hears our prayer. The angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. God had been listening to their prayers all through the years. And here's the incredible thing about this story. When you think how old Zechariah was, he probably had stopped praying those prayers for many years by now. But God had heard him, God had remembered him, and now God was answering him. When our prayers go unanswered, it can seem like God's not listening. But God is always listening, even when it feels like he's silent. God may not be answering your prayers in the way you ask or want or hope, but it doesn't mean he's not listening. It doesn't mean he's given up caring. So keep praying. Keep bringing it before God. He is listening. He hears you and he's on it, even if you can't see how. The second source of joy that comes out of this story is the joy of knowing that God can do anything. Zachariah are both very old. There's no physical way they can have children. And yet they did. A few verses after the ones we're reading today, Mary's being told she's going to give birth to the Son of God. How on earth is that possible? Indeed, God can do anything. Now, I realise that while this can give us a great deal of joy and assurance, it can actually bring us a lot of disappointment when the God who can do absolutely anything doesn't use his power to do the one thing you're asking him to do. It's one of those paradoxes in life where our greatest source of joy can actually also be potentially the greatest source of disappointment. There's nothing more joyous than to have God answer your prayer in an amazing way. Potentially, though, there's nothing more disappointing than not having God answer your prayer in an amazing way. I've experienced both, and I still struggle when God doesn't answer prayers the way I want. Just over four years ago, my younger brother died of motor neuron disease. Uh, Some of you here today were in the room at the community group that night that phone call came through. So many prayers prayed for him and yet it didn't seem to change the trajectory of an illness that just takes lives. What did I do? What do I continue to do in those moments? I find that the only thing that keeps me going is looking at the cross of Jesus. If God, through Jesus, was prepared to go through that for me, for you, I can keep trusting him, even when I don't understand what on earth he's up to. I think that's why it's always important, even if we don't say it in our hearts, we think it, that when we pray... It includes your will be done. Think about it. God actually chose not to answer one of Jesus' prayers, his very own son. On the night before Jesus died on the cross, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. God could have saved Jesus from his suffering and death, could have saved him. 
But then his much larger plan to save you and me from our sin would not have happened. And that's why Jesus said, yet not my will, but yours be done. God is working to a much bigger plan than each of our individual lives. And we can't always see what he's up to. And that leads me to the final way this story helps turn our sorrow into joy. The joy of knowing that Jesus has come to save us. While this story has a very personal element to it, God dealing with a childless couple that results in incredible joy for them when this child's born, the real joy, the lasting joy that will turn all our sorrow into joy is the news that God has not forgotten us, but that he's once again directly and actively involved and at work in, in this world to save his people through Jesus. God has not forgotten us. He's come to save us in Jesus, and it's Jesus who can turn all our sorrow into joy. Now, I know that that can sound like one of those nice religious cliches that we preachers like to roll out and believe me I felt that way about that answer sometimes when people have kind of wanted to quickly gloss over my disappointments and sorrows by rolling out the Jesus answer I do know what it feels like but you know what the longer I live the more I experience what it's like to wallow in sorrow and self-pity the more I've come to learn Jesus really is the answer especially when I don't have the answer You know, when our unanswered prayers have dragged us down into that pit of sorrow where we have got no way to get ourselves out of, the best thing that we can do is look up and fix our gaze on Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That is God hanging there for you. And when you can't see the hand of God in your current circumstances, in your unanswered prayer, you can look at the cross and see the heart of God at work for you. And the longer you look at that, I can, there's a power in that that can begin to lift you out of your sorrow into the joy of knowing that even if I can't see it in my current situation, And the cross, I can see that God is for me, that God is with me, even if I don't understand how that works right now. And that's ultimately why the people rejoiced at the news of John's birth. That's why Zechariah declared, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant, David. He's talking about Jesus. That's where the joy was back in Zechariah's time. It's where our source of joy is now. And it certainly will be where our joy is in eternity. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Without him, it would just about be impossible to make sense of anything in this world, Lord. I pray that you give us eyes to see all that it, what it means that Jesus, your son, entered this world to be one of us and to die for us. Lord, open our hearts to the magnitude of your love in the gift of Jesus, the promise of your presence, the promise of your provision. And Lord, as, as that sinks in, I pray that it does help us deal with those situations in life 
where we may have been crying out for years and wondering why you're not listening, that we would know that you are listening, Lord, and for whatever reason, even though we don't understand it, it's not changing. But the lack of change doesn't mean that you don't love us. You do. Doesn't mean you don't care. You do. And that you're with us. So, Lord, I ask that you would yeah, just fill us again with a fresh, fresh feeling of your spirit that we would know the love of Jesus in our hearts in a way that sustains us, encourages us, and ultimately fills us with a deep joy that this world cannot take away. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.